We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope capital campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. So today we've got uh, some complex ideas in Scripture that the readings say invite us to contemplate. And really what that, those ideas are, it's the interaction between justice and mercy, which is actually a lot more complex than you might think. So let's think about this for a minute. So maybe the hardest moment of my week, every week, super hard moment is giving that book to the kids, right? It's so hard. And you guys are like, oh, isn't that cute? And I'm like, I hate this moment. Why? Because every kid deserves the book, right? And so every week I come down here and I'm like, okay, who hasn't carried the book yet? And every single hand goes up, right? <laughs> Including the kid I gave the book to last week at 845 Mass. And I can't always remember. We need like a like photo like system or something. I don't know. Or we get those like tickets, like now serving number four. But it's so hard, and kids have a great sense of justice, and sometimes you can see on their face, Father Brian, you told me last week, like next week, and I'm just like, I am the worst priest ever. Kids want justice, right? They want things to be fair. We all have that. Every one of us, there's something inside of us that wants justice, which is good, right? Plato says that even if, you're, if you get punished because you've been unjust, he says that is the best thing that could happen to you. Because what's more important than what happens to you is who you are. And when we get punished, when we misbehave, that helps us to become people of justice. And that's far better than being allowed to go on living the ways we should not live. Now, all of us have this in us. I was, there's so many times in my life where I just, I just want justice. And this is increasing in my life as I age, right? And God bless all of you people. I don't have much of a commute, right? I just walk across the parking lot. It's magnificent. It's why I became a priest. But I don't know how you do it in Denver anymore with the traffic. So I drive to my gym. And like earlier this week, I was driving back from my gym and South Broadway is just, I, I don't get it, right? And I'm a very aggressive driver, but I'm a good driver, I promise. And this week, this guy in this huge black truck almost sideswiped me. And in that moment, right, I know I preach about mercy, 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 mercy. I want justice, right? <laughs> and so I'm like driving in my Subaru up to this guy in this huge truck, and I'm like, look at me right? You just cut off a priest. Right? And you just feel like, I want that guy to get pulled over. Give me justice, right? And this week is all about justice. The readings today, justice and mercy. And it's a very complex thing, right? And you felt that, right? You have felt that when people break rules 
What we want is justice, and justice is a good thing. In our first reading today, if you felt that way, I know you have in your life. You have felt like that. Think about our first reading in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the main protagonist of those two books of the Bible, is King David. And where we picked up today in that first reading, and you've got to know the context. David is described all through 1 Samuel, and up until he screws up big in 2 Samuel, he is a righteous man. Right? He, does, he is someone who lives for justice. And what he's done ever since he was a little boy, he kills Goliath in an act where he surrenders himself and he has tremendous courage to stand up for what is true and right and good. And after that, he enters into the service of King Saul. So Saul is that first king of Israel. People usually think the first king of Israel is David. David is the second the first king is King Saul. And so David becomes the lead commander for Israel. And he serves the king. He serves King Saul with everything he has. And he's this righteous man. And what happens is Saul gets really jealous. Right? Because he sees David's a greater man than he is. And so Saul gets really jealous. And Saul tries, he eventually gets to the point where he's hunting David to take his life. And that's where we picked up in the reading today. Right now, when, when someone wrongs me, and I joke about it, but I do feel that way sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I am a priest. Who do these people think they are? Right? Is there any justice in this world? Right? I can feel that way sometimes. But I have not had anything that serious where someone has wronged me. So think about this. David, is, he is being hunted by the man he spent his life serving. Saul is out to kill him, and he's tried to kill him numerous times. And David, in our first reading today, David has an opportunity to end it. And everyone around him would have said, that's justified. It makes sense. It's self-defense. He's literally on the hunt to kill you. And here he is, and Abishai, right, one of David's mighty men with him, says, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Right? And you feel like it's that guy who cut me off getting pulled over. You're like, yes. And David won't do it. Right? He won't do it today. He says, if, if there is to be justice, it must come from God and not from me. Our psalm today says, the Lord is kind and merciful. And I, just hang with me. I know this is, this is complex but in that psalm, the psalmist says, the Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. So on one hand, God is just. He's, and what justice is about, brothers and sisters, what justice is always about when it is true justice, justice is about making things 
as they should be. Justice is about making things as they should be. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. David knows that if he is going to have justice in his life, it has to come from the hand of God. But the psalm goes on and it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And our readings say that's what they want us to get. Right In the gospel today, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And he says, Do good to those who hate you and love your enemies. Now, I sometimes, right, as Christians, we think, I do that. You know, I love my enemies. You know, there was that person who kind of made a snarky, snarky remark to me, and I, you know, I kind of smiled. The first reading shows us what that means. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And I just want you to see one more thing before we kind of jump a little bit. Right? Two more things. You know there's always more than what I say. Two more things. The first thing is that that is fulfilled in Jesus. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Romans 5.8 says that God shows forth his love for us that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Not while we were his friends. Not when we lived good lives. Not when we had our act together. God shows forth his love for us and that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Here's the thing, mercy and justice, justice and mercy. What I want you to see this morning, right, we fall off the deep end. Some Christians, right, you'll go to some churches and all you ever hear is mercy. doesn't matter what you do, just mercy, mercy, mercy. Go do anything you want. And then there's some churches where it's just all justice. Get your life together. Stop sinning. We're watching, right? I've got a camera at every one of your houses, right? And I watch it all the time to check up on you. Here's the thing, those two things, justice and mercy, are really hard to balance. And I don't know that, and and no one I know, no one does them perfectly, but they met on the cross. Right? They met on the cross. Justice and mercy come together in Christ. That's an amazing thing. That's worth a holy hour at least. That's worth, that's worth a year of holy hours, praying about that. You see, because God, God doesn't just forgive sin. He sets things right, which is justice. And we, right, by our sins against God, right, we couldn't make things right. But Jesus, because he's God, because he was sinless, because he was perfect, 
in his act of perfect love towards God the Father, not only is he able to bestow mercy on the world, but he can actually set things right. That's amazing. And I want to challenge you that today. Today in the gospel, Jesus calls you and I to be like that. All right, you and I, the church is called to be a place of justice and mercy. And it's called to look like Jesus looks. So, big segue here, but related. I, I've been torn up all week about whether just to preach all about this or just doing announcements, but I decided to choose all, you know, like the kids. I choose all. Um, but I want to talk to you about what's happened this week with the abuse crisis. Hugely important. At the end of Mass, I'm going to read you a letter from Archbishop Aquila. But I hope you're following this. And today's gospel and today's readings have wisdom for us as Catholics. They're hugely important. The two things that are happening right now in the church, in our lives, more than that, but two big ones, in, in the Vatican, the Holy Father has finished up a conference on the abuse crisis worldwide right? that started just a couple days ago and ended today in Rome. The second thing is that this week, the Archdiocese in the state of Colorado announced that there will be an independent investigation into all the files of the Archdiocese regarding any abuse and also the way the diocese handles the abuse crisis. A couple of things I want to say to you about this. Here's the first thing. This is really good. This is really good. This is really good. Right? A natural knee-jerk reaction we can have as Catholics, we can say, oh my gosh, the, the church is under investigation and we can get defensive. Right? Jesus today teaches us justice is a good thing. Who we are is more important than what happens to us. And if there has been sin in the church, which obviously there has been, we got to deal with it. We got to face it. We got to own it. And we have to make things right. And I just want to commend Archbishop Aquila. Right? If you have not read this, the Denver Catholic this week put this out, and I know it's on other media. But the Denver Catholic, I ripped this out this morning. Here's our attorney general for the state of Colorado. He said, it is well known that child sexual abuse is a societal problem that demands attention and action. I am pleased the church has recognized the need for transparency and reparation for victims. He goes on, he says, we in Colorado have found our own way in the wake of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report. We have a set of dioceses. There's three archdioceses or just dioceses in Colorado. There's Denver, which we're in, Colorado Springs, and Pueblo. We in Colorado have a set of dioceses, and this is the attorney general. We have a set of dioceses here who have come to the table to develop appropriate solutions that are collaborative, committed to transparency, and put the victims first. This is not a criminal investigation. This is an independent inquiry with the full cooperation of the Catholic Church. 
Thank you, Archbishop Aquila. I love that. Who we are is more important than what happens to us. Right? And if there are skeletons in the closet, they need to come out. They need to come out independently from someone that can hold us accountable. And Archbishop Aquila is committed to that, and we should all be grateful for that. That is such a good thing. One more quote from this article. The former attorney general, the conversation started with her. Her name is Cynthia Kaufman. During this press conference, she said this. She said, childhood sexual abuse is not specific to one institution or to the Catholic Church. The spotlight is on the Catholic Church. But this abuse is indicative of what has happened in other institutions. We want to shine a light on what has happened. So the first point is this. The first point is that this is good. I was with a priest from Minnesota this week, and he said, Father Jeff Heward, a great priest, and he said, you know, as Catholics, we can be nervous about this. And he said, you know what? God's not nervous. God's not nervous. He knows all things. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely merciful. God is not nervous about this, and we shouldn't be either. We should be committed to working to make things right. So that's the most important thing, probably. The second thing I want to say to you today is this. One of the things that we need to do is we need to be not defensive. We need to to fix what's wrong, but we also need to know all the facts, And there's been a lot of false information out there, a huge distortion. This is an article from First Things, which is an intellectual journal of Catholic thought. And I'm going to post this on our website. I just want to read you one quote about misinformation. And this is about the Pennsylvania Report. It says, the Pennsylvania Report conflated 70 years of data. Think about that. 70 years of data that it looked at. By conflating 70 years of data, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, and more importantly, lazy journalism about it, suggested that there was an unaddressed abuse culture in the Catholic Church. That was not true, for it irresponsibly, but perhaps deliberately ignored the many steps taken by the bishops of the United States to make U.S. Catholicism what it arguably is today, one of the safest environments for young people in the country, and a far safer environment than the Pennsylvania public schools, which remain unexamined by any grand jury despite hundreds of recent reports of abuse. I don't want to be defensive. We don't want to be defensive. We want to make things right. One case of abuse is far too many. We need to get to a place of zero. But we also need to know all the facts. Right? That report in Pennsylvania reported 1,000 allegations of sexual abuse, 1,000. Since 2002, the number of those in that report was 15. And if you, if you listen to the media, it sounds like this is all current. It's all happening right now. 
we have a problem. We got to deal with it. We got to hold bishops accountable. We need to fix things. Absolutely, a thousand percent. I am totally behind that. But we need to be honest about what the data says. Last thing today, with all of this, how do we move forward? How do we help things? Well, I don't know the answer with all the bishops. Something has to change with bishop accountability. Has to change. The McCarrick scandal, the way bishops have acted, that has to change. And I think there are ways, but I'm not an expert on that. But I do want to ask your prayers for one thing. Priestly culture is something that I have a huge heart for. You know that I am a part of a community of priests, the Companions of Christ, as is Deacon Darrell's son, Father John, as is Father Mike. We're all in the same community. And here's what I ask your prayers for. I don't know the future, but what I think is I think the Catholic Church is about to get a lot smaller. And I think that might be a good thing. It might purify us. Pope Benedict believed that. I think that's the truth. But I also believe, I believe we're going to have more persecution. I believe we're going to get smaller. I think that's going to happen. But I also believe we're in a time of renewal. I believe that right now we live in a time that is going to renew the Catholic Church. We're going to get persecuted first. We're going to suffer for our own sins first. But we're going to be purified. God will purify us and it'll renew the church. But here's my word for you on this. Every renewal in the history of Catholicism, every single one has had at its heart a renewal of priesthood. Every single one. And what I am convinced of, our community that I'm a part of is not the answer to this time. But I am convinced that priests belong together. And I ask your prayers for the companions of Christ, my community, and I ask your prayers that priests would learn to live in community, to live a high ideal of holiness, because I don't think this can happen any other way. That has to happen. Right now, priests in, in diocesan life, right, most priests live by themselves. They live under immense pressure. They feel the weight of the world. I've never felt that, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> they do. They feel the weight of the world on their shoulders, and they feel like they have to be experts in theology, experts in moral theology. They have to be experts in philosophy. They have to know everything about everything. They must be available at all times, and they have to live in isolation. That is a recipe for disaster. 11 years ago, my community started to say that Jesus, whenever he sends out priests, he sends them two by two. Always. So today, what I leave you with, brothers and sisters, is I love my priesthood. It's difficult, but I am a better priest with my brothers. When Father Mike's here, when Father John's here, when the other brothers in my community, when we live together, when we pray together, when we come home at the end of the night and have a glass of wine and talk together, we are better priests. Please pray for that.
So Jesus, today we pray for all the victims of abuse. That's first and foremost. Lord, may you purify your church. May you help us to make things right. May we accept whatever is necessary because of the sins that are current or in the past, knowing that who we are is more important than what happens to us. But Lord, will you renew priesthood? May you renew bishops? May you renew your church?